Welcome to the Inspiring Leadership podcast series. This is aimed for you aspiring leaders, whatever level you're at, whether you're beginning out in your careers as managers and leaders, whether you're in middle ranking roles, or whether you're CEOs and chairman of boards, there's always something we can all learn. And it's particularly the skills, stories, tips and techniques that you can pass on to those you lead and your teams. Welcome to my favorite time of the week. And I'm really thrilled to have one of my schoolboy heroes uh, and Derek Redmond, Olympian. Uh, Derek is also former, former world champion, European champion. He's famous for the 4x400 relay, uh, which he won in 1991 as part of the world champs. Uh, he's broken the British world record for the 400 meters twice and was famed in the 92 uh, Barcelona Olympics where just as he was on for winning, winning silver or gold, uh, he had an injury and couldn't make the line. And father and he hobbled along and he made it. He became famous on NBC News. And Barack Obama, who I respect massively, also referenced him. And that moment is one of the mot motivational moments that he can recall. Welcome to the show, Derek. It's great to have you on board. Thank you. Uh, yeah, thanks very much. Great to be here. Yeah, well, you're also, uh, as, as was mentioned, a motivational speaker, uh, a fellow coach, and you're on, if, if it wasn't for COVID, you'd be on stage a lot, uh, you know, telling your story. And, and even in the, as we were in the green room chatting away, getting ready for this show, you told us some amazing stories. And I, I'd really love you to perhaps begin by telling us a bit about your life and how you came to be such a, a, a huge success as an athlete, but also... You've turned your hand to many things and your dad seems to have been quite an inspiration to you. So tell us a bit about dad and how that influenced the, the drive and the motivation you had to become a world champion. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, you, you, you've mentioned my, my dad. I mean, you know, the I guess the easiest way to start this is, you know, one of the questions I get asked a lot is, you know, who am I? Do I have any heroes? Who are they? Um, well, Michael Jordan, Daley Thompson and my dad are my three three heroes. So that kind of sums up. That you know the, the the admiration I and respect that I have for my dad. You know we are very close. Uh, literally, he lives a couple of minutes away from me, so um, you know we are close in, in more ways than one. But yeah, he was a great influence on me as a young athlete. I started um, my athletics career, if you want to call it that, back at the age of seven. Uh, that's when I joined my first athletics club, just because I liked running and jumping. I had no yeah. aspirations of wanting to be in the Olympics at the age of seven. I didn't even know what the Olympic Games were. Um, but my dad has always supported me, even from that age, obviously taking me to the club and standing around on the sidelines and giving me his his uh, two penneth. Um, although he never, ever coached me, um, he was always there to give me his thoughts and, and views and uh, bits of advice. And, you know, as the years went on, that didn't really change. Um, you know, he has a bit of a rags to riches story himself. Um, you know, brought up in a broken home in Trinidad, came over to England when he was 15 um, and had to make a success of himself, which he did um, um, pretty well. And um, yeah, he was always by my side, uh, very positive, very straightforward um, speaking kind of person. Um, didn't mess about, um, told it, told you as he, as he, as he saw it. Um, and um Weirdly, he 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 was never the most emotional person that you'd ever want to meet. Um, and even you know during the introduction, you you know mentioned about breaking this record, breaking that record. I remember breaking the British and European record in one race, and everyone around me is going uh, back, going mad and crazy. And my dad comes up to me. Um, this was in uh, Rome at the World Champs in '87, and my dad walked up to me and just went pat pat on the back went well done right in the final we need to talk about that and that was it that was you know but for my dad that was like him doing backflips naked around the whole track you know <laughs> um, but yeah very very uh, uh influential person in my life and as we said in the green room if it wasn't i think a lot of the experiences and what i learned from him i possibly wouldn't have done what i'd done in the world of sport but certainly wouldn't be doing what i'm doing today yeah yeah, it, it, it's, it is interesting who the role models are. And um, I mean, it is interesting this aspect. Your dad was a really great businessman who achieved an awful lot in, in his life. Um, 
you know, you remind me of his story of my, my best mate, Errol Stewart from Jamaica. We were at Sandhurst together and he was in the Jamaican army. And we, we've remained great friends and he just tells it as it is. You know, he, he calls people a bomber rascal, man, and <laughs> just calls it out. And, and it was interesting seeing his experiences when he came across to Britain uh, and his hopes and, and, and how also he faced some racism. I mean, Black Lives Matter is a, a big thing. What have you experienced by way of racism and how do you think we're going to move forward and, and make it better? Great question. I mean, yes, I've experienced racism um, uh, on many levels. Um, I guess the, the on the lowest level, being called names at school um, always happened from, from, from whenever I remember. Highest level, um, having a bomb intercepted that was sent to, to mine and, and my first wife's uh, house um wow. uh, and that came from a some racist group um I, I can't remember where and it was intercepted the only way we found out about it was the police let us know that this bomb had been intercepted and there was wasn't just me i think paul Lintz and his wife had one sent to him i think bruno and his wife had one um dawn french when she was married to the comedian whose name just escaped me um guy from the black country oh i can't think of his name um that'll come to me in a minute um uh so, yeah so there was four or five of us that were lenny henry uh okay yeah. lenny henry lenny Henry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, got your vibes people i got your vibes um so we all had them sent to us and they were all intercepted so I've, I've experienced it pretty much everything in between um you know the one i mean i i experienced it quite a lot at, at school especially at secondary school as i say it was part and part of you know of, of growing up um fortunately stroke unfortunately my sister and i were the only black kids at our secondary school in northampton we were the first to uh, to go it's a completely different story now um uh, so that was quite tough but sport was my sanctuary sport was my kind of protection and one of the things that gave me street cred if you can have such a thing at school was the fact that you know half a dozen assemblies a year, I was getting called up to be accepted, to, to give an, my, an England vest or this or that or something for, for what I'd done in, in uh, athletics or basketball. Um, the second part, you asked about what can be done now. I mean, it, it comes down to one word, and that's education. Um, myself and John Regis started um, something a, a, a while back, a bit of a campaign called Is This You? Because I believe, we believe that racism there is a bit of a scale of racism and if you wanted to scale it on a one to ten this is just me you know putting it in in simple terms you know if somebody is seven and above there's not a lot you can do for them that's their choices they're they've you know they've been programmed by other people or whatever they've done themselves to think that way and there's not much you can do to them possibility but pretty tough if they're from five to seven tough job but you've got a chance of getting through to these people but if they're from zero to five which is half of the population that who are racist if you like you've got a good chance of changing that and there's a lot of people that i found in my life that don't realize they have performed a racist act or said a racist thing and um la last year this was just last year I was at a private school in Tunbridge Wells um, giving out some awards. My wife came along with me. We had an event the night before in London. So we drove from London to Tunbridge Wells, stayed over the night, and I did this thing. Lovely summer's day. Um, and I did my talk and handed out all these presentations. And, and then they were going to have a bit of a sports day. Um, and I was asked if I would stay around and cheer the kids on and present a few medals. So I said, yes, no problem. Um, my wife's with me. We're sort of standing around, hand in hand. Parents come up to me saying, oh, you know, great speech, this, that. You know, my son, my daughter, this and that. And this this old chap, he must have been 75 if he was a day. It's a boiling summer's day, but he's got a three-piece tweed suit on. And um, he, he he sort of says, oh, bloody marvellous talk. Very, very oh, lovely talk, lovely presentation. So I said, oh, thank you very much. He said, my granddaughter, she's a, you know, she uh, uh, competes. She's a... Um, fantastic athlete and uh, she finished fourth in a real big competition i can't remember which competition it was so i said oh yeah i said you got you got no i can't remember at all he went no 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 and he called her over I said yes granddad 
what was that competition you finished in? So she said the English schools, big, big competition, finishing fourth in the English schools, huge competition. So I said, wow, fantastic. You know, what event? Oh, I was in the 100 metres. That's fantastic. And her granddad butted in and said, yes, yes, fourth is she, all she could do because you all up were way quicker than her. And my wife and I just looked at each other. And now he had no idea. Now, really, I should have called him to the side and said, listen, what you've just said there, but it wasn't the time. Well, it was the right time, really, at the end of the day, but I didn't. It kind of shocked me, but it just goes to show he possibly had no idea what he had said. So we did this campaign called Is This You, where we got lots of um, sporting uh, celebs and um, people of colour from different, um, uh, you know, um, uh, different, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, backgrounds and you know and not just sporting uh, personality and ask them to give a quick story of a situation that they've all been through and at the end of it because what I didn't want them is to share the story as them as the victim I wanted them to turn it around 180 degrees and share the story from the eyes of the perpetrator so they would tell the story and at the end of it and just say is this you um, because there's a lot of people that don't realize what they're doing what they're saying, mm. the actions that they they take. Uh, and that was the idea of it. And, you know, to try and just get people to educate. And I, I've got people writing back to myself and and Big John Regis as well did as well, saying, look, you know, thanks for that. You know, it's made me think of things I've done in the past, things I've said. And, you know, I'm embarrassed to say I've unknowingly and unwittingly said these things and done this thing. So, you know, it does come down to education. Um, I think it's the only way... Um, that we really are going to make a difference is if we can educate people into you know what they're doing and what they're saying. Brilliant, brilliant. That's really powerful. Um, and and then it's it's really um, early on we were just talking about stories. You're a fabulous storyteller. Uh, I can see <laughs> why you're a successful motivational speaker. It just I will always remember them, and and that's the key. I mean, humans are great storytellers. This is, this is how we do. And I think in these times when we're in lockdown or whatever we might be, and, and our medium is 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 video and is screen. Stories really really make people think. Yeah. Uh, and what about you know you becoming a great leader? I mean, everybody can be a great athlete. Not everybody. Sorry. Let me just rephrase that. <laughs> some people, but in their mind, in their group, yeah. Um, some people can be good at athletics or a particular sport. Anna Hemmings is another friend of ours and, and uh, she's an Olympian. Doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be a leader, but you've also become a leader and a motivational role model to people. People look up to you, whatever race or background, and they go, wow, what a, what a guy, inspirational. What is it, do you think, that got you into leadership, which is, you know, and here you are, you're motivating, you're speaking, you're coaching people. What got you into the leadership? You could be a great athlete, but what got you into leadership? I, do you know what I think it is? It's It was obviously, it, it all, the biggest springboard was my sporting career. There's no two ways about it. You know, that mixed with um, what I'd gone through, literally from the age of seven to the age of retirement in professional sport, um, you know, with my dad also being at my side, because I learned so much from, you know, from my old man. And from all the coaches um, that I, you know, I had the pleasure of of, of working with, some great athletes, uh, listening to what these guys and girls say, and a hunger for success. Um, mm. You know, that's one of the things that it really comes down to is having a hunger for success, and on top of all that, having the belief that you can actually achieve success, whatever that looks like to you. For some people, it's the cars, the houses, the watches, the money, all that sort of stuff. For other people, it could be something quite simple, learning to walk. It could be, you know, coming back from an accident, learning to walk. It could be from a young child studying for an exam or whatever. You know, I always say success means different things to different people. Um, but I've always been one of those people um, that has always been confident. Um, I'm always looking to, to improve on what I've done, regardless to what other people think, say, uh, about whatever it is that I'm, I'm trying to, you know, trying to achieve, and I guess I'm just one of these people that will take the ball by the horns and will go for it, um, whether that makes me a leader or not. Uh, in some people's eyes, it would. In other people's, it it, it, it may or may not. Um, you know, my idea of a leader is somebody who my definition of a leader 
is somebody who makes everybody else who they are managing or leading feel like leaders themselves. Because I think if you can have a whole team of of people with that entrepreneurial spirit and that leadership leader attitude, then you got a great team. And you know, and, and you mentioned in my introduction, you know, about the relay, and I was really fortunate to be with some absolute gems of of, of people. You know, Chris Akabusi, John Regis, Roger Black, Phil Brown, Todd Bennett. These were guys that were on the top of their game. Um, you know at the event and actually we were all leaders there was no one person in charge of all of us we led ourselves and as a team we we went forward and if you sounds a bit mafia like but if you messed with one you messed with all type you know type kind of uh, uh, approach so i kind of lived it uh, i've kind of been through it not just in sport also in business um you know i've tried my hands at, at different businesses and i know one of the things you will ask about is possibly some of the dark days in my um yeah tell us about a dark day um so you know in business i guess one of the darkest periods of my life was uh, myself and my um old my former not old in age because he's younger than me but my former strength and conditioning coach still one of my greatest friends um we we set up a business um where we made and manufactured gym equipment um mainly strength equipment strength and conditioning equipment and the company was called olympics and it went from naught to pretty successful in a couple of years three years and then it went from successful straight down and i went bankrupt for 2.7 million um completely lost everything um and that was a let's just say a dark day <laughs> um, you know my dad had invested in it and goodness knows what and you know having to go and tell my dad that the, you know that they'd got um was not my finest hour i mean he was brilliant about it um and you know, it's then put me on a path to what I'm doing now. And I'm going back 20 odd years. And I remember one question my old man asked me. He said, so how are you going to run? Once I'd worked out that I was going to get into the speaking side of things and the training side of things, he said, how are you going to run this business different to the last one? Because the way you ran the last one, it didn't work out very well, did it? Um, and we kind of half joked about it. And I said, as a throwaway comment, well, I said, well, the only other thing I've ever done successful is is what I've done in the world of sport. Um, and he says, well, why don't you take the same attitude as you used in sport and put that into, into business? And this time I'll sit alongside you and we'll help get this going. And that's when I, the, the light bulb went, when I sort of started treating my business as I do, as I did my sport. And, you know, if anybody is sort of listening and has heard me speak, there's two sayings that I always weave into any presentation or, or um, workshop that I deliver. And that is sport is a business and business is a sport because I don't believe there's a difference between the two. Uh, so much so that I wrote a book called Sport is a Business, Business is a Sport, available on Amazon as a download. I got the app ready. Um, uh, and the other one is the mindset of a successful sports person is no different to the mindset of a successful business person. And, you know, I've come to realize now that People will always ask me, how did you make that transition from sport to business? And now I realize I didn't make a transition. I just changed events. And that's kind of how I look at it. And I like to share what I've learned. And there's hundreds and hundreds of things. And, uh, and you know, it's not do it this way or you will fail. But it's worked in, in sport for me and hundreds of thousands of others. It's working for me and others in business. So think about it and I like to think of myself as being quite thought-provoking and I'm prepared to be you know proven wrong um if that's you know if that be the case um but yeah that's you know kind of uh the way that I you know uh, like you know to operate great and I'll hand over to Ben to carry on with the questioning yeah I think that feeds really well into to something that Don has um Don McIntyre has said in in, in the feed um he he mentioned that some athletes um, struggle mentally after their competitive careers end and how you did you successfully transition to the next phase and did you have that struggle or, or was it just oh, yes. you just kept that mentality no 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 no. there is a struggle um you know there is um even though i say i you know it's sport is a business and business is a, is a sport there is that situation where you have to come out of your sport you're, you know, having a successful career in your sport, possibly being one of, if not the top of your game, unless you're in, you know, you're, you know, fortunate enough to be in a sport where you've made enough money where you can 
sit back on your yacht in the Bahamas and, and, and count the pennies and enjoy life. Most of us have to get some form of, uh, of work to keep the income coming in and keep our partners in a life they're accustomed to, as I always around <laughs> with my wife and say. Um, but seriously, there is a massive gap to go from retiring in sport to getting involved in something that you are happy to do. And mm. I, I think I personally, I, I wrote a presentation about it and I call it a seven change, uh, seven stage change that you go through, seven stages that you go through. And I won't bore you with them all, but it starts with denial, you know, and let's assume you're in a, you know, team sport. Let's just take rugby for argument's sake. And, you know, coach brings you in after a game towards the end of the season and and, and, and says, Dom, you've had a great career. It's been fantastic, but we're not going to re renew your contract next year. We're going to let you go. Well, well, why? I've still got a few years left in me. I've still got a few years left in me. So it's denial. They let you go. You start knocking on the doors of other teams. They don't want to know because it's obvious that the career is on this down path. You're not at an age now where people are going to be taking you on at that. Like, you might steal a couple of more seasons in a lower division, but you're just putting off the inevitable. Uh, and you've got to go through that stage. And then you come into that, you know, the stage of, you know, realisation. Holy crap, this is happening. Uh, and there's a lot of stages that you go through. And the last stage is what I call integration. And integration is where you found something you are passionate about, you know, you want to do, you, you know, whether it was introduced to you, you've said it, whatever the case may be. And you're happy to integrate into the world as Derek Redman or, or, or Don McIntyre, the whatever you are as opposed to former rugby player, Don, who is now, because you're actually happy to be known of what you're doing now, not just known for what you were were doing. And it's a huge difference. Ego gets in the way. You know, that don't you know who I am syndrome, as I, is, uh, you know, as, as I call it. Um, and, you know, you go through these stages and it can be months, it can be years. I would say for me, it was a seven year process. So no, it wasn't the easiest thing that I went through that whole Olympics situation was through though that you know part of that and you know there is a certain part it's a bit like grief where it's a bit like a curve in it and it drops down mm. and it comes back up and you do have that little trough at the bottom where you go through these stages of experimentation trying all sorts chucking mud at the wall and seeing what sticks people coming out of the woodwork saying I've got this great idea I've got this let's try this investing money making bad decisions and you know it can lead to bankruptcy <laughs> you know or you know and in some cases worse there have yeah. fortunately sportsmen and women out there that's not be able to take it and have mm. you know attempted to or taken their own you know own lives because we have taken away a big chunk of their life well up until that point yeah. all of their, their identity in their life um because you know they're no longer in that so it's it's not the easiest thing uh, yeah, through, but it's there yeah and it must be that that sort of all-consuming part of your life is then taken away, and 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 it and it's a euphoria of of tough competition and exercise and and peaks and troughs within that competition. And then what are you supposed to do now? It must be yeah. must humbling, especially to go through the experience you did with uh, with, with a, a failed, failed business. Yeah, I mean, you learn, you, you learn a lot as you do in, yeah. in your. And, you know, and here, you know, here's some of the similarities, you know, in the world, let's start with athletics, you know, we will try new training programs, new weight programs, and if they work, you stick with them and you integrate them into part of your overall training program. If they mm. don't, you look at, you know, you look at something different and that's no different to what we do in business. And we have to try these things, um, not expecting them to fail, but preparing that they may not work. And if they don't, you know, how do we, you know, readdress those things? Um, the interesting thing, um, you know, about being a sportsman um, is you never lose that competitive uh, edge, that, you know, that competitiveness. And and I struggled with, you know, being out of sport. And I went from athletics to playing basketball, which I ended up playing professionally and playing for England. Uh, I got out of that and then I wanted to try and represent my country in three sports. I got into rugby, got played professionally tried out on a couple of occasions for, uh, for rugby sevens, but didn't quite make it, but played professionally for a few years and then got out of professional sports. And then even in my working days, uh, my working life still continued uh, with, you know, sports and, 
tried to take up a hobby um, and that ended up me turning that hobby into a sport. So, you know, my wife said to me, look, you just forget sport, go and get a hobby, <laughs> you know, that you couldn't do while you were competing. So I, one of my simple things on a bucket list was to learn to ride a motorcycle. So way back in 2006, which is not that long ago, I guess, I learned to ride a bike. I was in my 40s and uh, bought myself a, um, a motorcycle, rode on the road with a group of guys for 2006. 2007, did a few track days, which was great fun. I think I did seven. 2008, I did 43 track days, the Ron Haslam Race School, the California Superbike School, and 2009 started racing. And my, we did endurance racing, and, and uh, my team, we became national champions in 2011. Um, <laughs> gave that up. up so you turned into a sport. Yeah. Gave up, <laughs> up, in, became national champion at that in 2013. And then two years ago, at the age of 53, I turned semi-pro as a boxer. So you never lose that competitive uh, edge. Um, and, you know, my dad thinks I'm crazy um, yeah. <laughs> um, and thinks I should call it back. But I can't for some reason. You know, can't. Like, Got to have that competition. So it. It, it, it's great to have some questions from from the feed. If anybody else is watching and wants to ask um, Derek any questions, please do. be great to hear from you. So so you've been successful at so many things. We, we often ask the people we interview, what are the habits that you do every single day that make you successful? I mean, then we break them up into sort of three little um, parcels of healthy, um, wealthy, and wise. Yeah, um, I, I think the habits is not things I do on a daily uh, basis. There's lots of things I do on a daily basis, but the habits that I have that I think that promotes the success is one of self-belief, having to believe that you can achieve whatever it is that you set out to do. You know, if you don't believe it, how are you going to expect anybody else to believe you, support you, mm. help you with whatever, you know, whether that goal is, number one. Number two, you're going to have, uh, as Jonathan referred to it, as dark days. Um, and the one thing that got me through my dark days, weeks, months, even years, was knowing that I, if I could stay healthy, in my case, when I was an athlete, I could mm. be the best in the world. That was no mm. doubt my biggest issue was trying to stay healthy. So having that self-belief is, is, is really important. Having that goal is important um, because there's so many people out there that don't really know what they want out of life, don't really know where they're going. They're almost just yeah. plodding along. And I always say to them, do you drive? And they say, yes. And I say, so when you get in a car, do you just drive aimlessly and end up somewhere when you run out of petrol? Or do you know where you're going? And if there is a roadblock, if there's an accident, if there's a traffic jam, you work your way around it. But somehow you'll get to that. Well, that's what you're looking for. You're looking for that journey or you're looking for that endpoint, and it's that journey that's gonna you know uh, gonna be the bit that you got to work on so you know self-belief having you know uh, having that goal and having people around you people that you can rely on um that will support you that can um you know when you are feeling a bit down can kind of bring you up a little bit and have that positive effect on you so it's not really daily habits but they're they're things that i try and do all the time and you know i'm not the be all and end all of motivation business leadership and all that sort of stuff and like all of us have normal worries like anybody else but one of the things that i will do uh, and do a lot is try and surround myself with people that i can pick the phone up to and say hey mate look i've got this situation i'm feeling this what do you think about that well you know and, and you know you need that because you can't be expected to do it on mm. your own um, so there would be the three things. I don't know if that covers the, 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 yeah, I think that covers it really well. Yeah. And that, that, that ability to actually ask for advice and help, I think is, is such an important thing. Yes. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, yeah. So well, many what, people want to, want to help and want to give advice and, 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 and yeah, you've got to work out the right people to, you know, yeah. to advice from, um, you know, I sounds heard, like your dad was great. My dad was great. And, you know, yeah. Finding those right people. I remember once seeing a, a a quote, and it said, "If you want to drive a Lamborghini, don't take advice from a Fiat driver." Um, so it's finding <laughs> the right people. Nothing wrong with Fiat's, just in case anybody owns a Fiat that is a, a little. But you get the uh, you know you get the idea. So it's finding those right people that you know those successful people. You know, success breeds success. Um, you know, one of the mm. reasons I think I was as 
competitive and as good as I was in athletics is um, when I was 18, 19, 20 sort of age, I was training over in America and I was ranked fifth in the world and the slowest guy in the training group. You know, we had two Olympic champions, Olympic bronze medalists, uh, or three Olympic champions, Olympic bronze medalists. And one of those guys also held the world record for the 400 meter hurdles. And I was ranked fifth in the world. And all I saw was their butts and the back of their heads most of the time. Um, so, you know, but it was good for me because it dragged me along. Mm. Um, you know, so, you know, it, it is good to kind of mix with these people if you get the opportunity to and pick their brains. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, be pushed. Yeah, well, because you're into boxing um, now, what, what do you think of uh, the Tyson and um, Roy Jones Jr. fight? Well, Tyson got ten million. Roy Jones got three million. For three million, I would have gone in the ring for Tyson for a draw. <laughs> oh my god! Um, it was. I mean, I watched it, and it was yeah. a bit. The whole event was was a weird one. I mean, with all due respect to him, having Snoop Dogg as, as part of the um, commentary panel uh, was a bit of a, a bit of a laugh. And you know, a couple of the fights before we had an NBA player playing against some internet um, sensation and uh, fighting against an internet sensation, and yeah. uh, it's not the same. I mean, I take my hat off both to to both Roy Jones and you know Mike Tyson. They got themselves in great shape, and in all seriousness. I don't think I'd want to face either one of them. Um, no. because they have <laughs> lost it. You know, it's there. But, you know, you want to see you know, It's not great seeing those idols mm. normal. You know, they were mm. megastars. They were absolute superstars in their, you know, in, in, in their prime. I mean, you know, Tyson was an absolute killing machine. Oh, yeah, I know. Um, and it wasn't it wasn't a you know a true fight um, because you know I read the day before they weren't allowed to knock each other out and this and that. Well, let's let's be honest. We wanted to see a fight. People were tuning mm-hmm. in to see Tyson knock Roy Jones out or Roy Jones knock Tyson out, and you know it, it didn't happen. So hey, it's, it's the world we live in. It's it it's, uh, it makes a lot of money. Um, a lot of hype. A lot of <laughs> hype, and you know what? This is the world we live in, isn't it? So yeah. I, I got another question linked to that. <clears throat> it wasn't one that was planned. I just I was thinking of. Um, I asked my question based on the fact that I'm now on my second marriage. Okay. Uh, my first marriage was to a fellow army officer at the time. Um, you were very famous at the time as the sort of double couple, uh, Sharon Davis, the, the, the famous swimmer, and yourself, yeah. nice quarter, 2000. You got two lovely children from that. Yeah. Um, lessons i mean you know we all make our mistakes you know how, how are you getting on now are you are you still able to to talk to each other or is it you know is it- we we get on very well um in the you know um since um you know my wife now maria um we've had sharon um obviously elliot and grace the two children sharon's been up and spent christmas with us um during uh lockdown when well i say during lockdown when we came out of lockdown and we were allowed to travel in bits and pieces. Um, one of the things that happened to Sharon and I, she possibly won't like me saying, is we became grandparents. Um, she is a grandma and I am a granddad. Sorry, Sharon. Um, so uh, we, uh, uh, my son, Elliot, had a, a baby girl. Congratulations. Um, thank you. Yeah, she uh, was born in April. And uh, there was a time Elliot came up with his other half and, 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 and little Aria, as the name it. And Sharon came up with her two dogs. We had our dogs and we had a nice barbecue. And so we get on very well, um, you know, which is, you know, we, you know, which is good. So, um, yeah, she's fine. Um, I have a good relationship with her. Great relationship with all four of my kids because I adopted two girls as well. Um, and uh, yeah, it's all it's all good. Great. And, and there's another question I had and I'll pass back over to Ben. Uh, clearly, 94 Barcelona Olympics and 92. 92, sorry. I, I did. I thought I did. And, and Obama mentioned it, and it was on NBC News, and, and it was such an inspiration. The video's been shown many times. You were saying for the f- first couple of years, it was really quite hard to come to terms with that. Yeah. But now you've realized it's been such an inspiration, and particularly since you became a dad. Anything more you want to share? Because for those who, who whatever, might have missed it or whatever, what was actually going on for you? What happened in the race, and, and how did dad help? Okay, well, um, to cut a very long story short, and as you've gathered, my answers aren't the shortest, I'll try and talk you through it. So it was in the semi-final of the 1992 Olympics. I was one of the um, favourites for a medal. Um, 
and I'd won the first round. In fact, I was the fastest qualifier out of all the athletes. I won the second round. Semi-final was going to be, as far as I was con concerned, pretty much a walk in the park. Um, I hadn't pushed myself in the first two rounds. I was going to run a bit harder in the semi-final, down the back straight, pulled my hamstring and, you know, hit the deck as, as you do. Um, and I decided the thing that made me get up is because to be a champion, you need two things. You've got to be physically in shape, but you've also got to be mentally in shape. And you can't win at that level with one and not the other. You need both of those. You've got, it's got to be up here as well as it is physically. And physically I'd broken down, but mentally I was still at that point in shape, possibly suffering a bit of shock. And I remember after a few seconds thinking, quick, where's everybody? And they've got, the other athletes got about 120 meters to go. And I remember thinking, if I get up now and start running, I'll catch them. So that's what got me to my feet. I hobble 50 meters. I'm now halfway around. I kind of look across to see if I'm still catching these guys. They've all finished. And that's when it hit me that it was over. And I decided to finish the race because I knew I could live the rest of my life knowing I'd finished eighth in the semi-final and been knocked out as opposed to not finishing. It's exactly the same result, but it's the way that you deal with it, process it, and, and the angle that you, you, you look at it from. And I could live with that, being knocked out in a semi-final. Um, but I couldn't live with not finishing. So I, that's why I continued. And then the last thing I expected to see with 100 metres to go was my old man on the track. I mean, in this day and age, he would have been shot or tasered. I mean, it wouldn't happen uh, you know, now. Um, but he, um, he, you know, he managed to bundle and fight his way through. Um, and as you saw, we, you know, we finished the race together. Now, he's, his aim was to try and stop me from finishing. And the only reason he wanted to stop me from running and finishing wasn't because he didn't want me to finish is because me, my coach and, and, and my dad knew they were both sitting next to each other in the stands, knew it was a hamstring because we know what a hamstring pull looks like. And we didn't know the severity of the injury. And my dad's thought was if I can stop him, it might not be that bad. And we still got the relay to come. So he might still be able to make the relay, but the more he runs on it, the more he'll damage it and the worse it will get. So that was his first thought. Then he, you know, realised when I said to him, just get me back into lane five. I want to finish this race. <laughs> uh, and it's the first and last time I've ever shouted and swore at my dad and got away with it. You know? um, and he said, okay. And he recognised I wanted to finish. And I think in one of the interviews, he says, it wasn't the place to have a family argument. So I just complied <laughs> with his wishes. Uh, and we finished the race and, you know, what everybody saw. Yeah. No idea it was going to have the effect that it did on you know, on people, um, you know, and, and you mentioned Jonathan, you're right. For the first couple of years, I just, both of us, we just couldn't talk about it. We didn't want to be reminded of it. Everybody and their mother wanted to interview us and, you know, uh, us to share our thoughts about it, but I just didn't want to because I'd failed. You know, I was one of the favorites for, you know, for a medal. Um, I personally think at worst, it would have been a silver, and, you know, as my dad says, if you're in the fight for a silver, then you're in the fight for a gold. So we'll never know now. But that's where I, I think. And it didn't happen. So for me, it was a failure. I couldn't see what everybody saw in it. Fast forward, you know, many years later to when I have children, I can kind of see what a lot of parents see um, in that because of my dad. And my wife said something uh, a number of years ago, which I think she's absolutely right. She said, had that had been your coach a teammate, an official, it wouldn't have had the same effect as it did on the world as it being your dad. That is, you know, it made an absolute huge difference. And that's why she thinks it resonates with a lot, a lot of other people. Yeah. Yeah. I, I rewatched it today and I think you're right. I think there's that layer of, of the heartbreak you, you're having of, of, of your race being over and your chance of, um, of a medal being over your dad's reaction to like people coming over and him just like going, no, go away, go away. He's finishing the race. People, officials coming up and he's like, this is my boy and I'm going to take him across the line. I think that, that, that does, I think emotionally get to get to people. So those layers there. Um, but it's really interesting to hear from your, your point of view. And yeah, really tough, like having to speak about it all the, all the time and um, sort of almost overshadowing some of your successes over over the years? Uh, not really. I mean, it's, it, you know, fortunately, unfortunately, depending on how you look at it, it's the one thing that I'm really known for. I mean, let's be honest, there's a whole generation 
of younger you know, younger generations out there. There's whole generations of younger people out there that have no idea who I who I am and what you know. You ever heard of Derek Redmond? No. Ever heard about the guy that pulled his hamstring in the Olympics and his dad carried him like? <laughs> oh yeah. And I get that all the time. So it's you know it, it is what it is, and you know um, yeah. I can do about that. So, um, <laughs> but it is quite I- ironic that most events I speak at, as I always joke about, I get introduced um, on stage as the guy that got beaten by his dad in an Olympic semi-final. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so obviously, this this series is about inspirational leadership, and 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 you, you've inspired a lot of people about by by, by that resilience and and that ability to carry on. Which leaders have, have sort of inspired inspired you? Oh, great question. Which leaders? Um, I mean, there's there's people that you would never have heard of. There's a couple of people that that, that spring to mind that um, I I am inspired by, um, and you know they've been successful in their own own worlds. In you know in in business, but if you're talking of leaders on a world uh, on a world scale, I mean, again, Jonathan mentioned someone who I have uh, the utmost respect and admiration for, and that's Barack Obama. Um, mm. Um, I just think the way that gentleman conducts himself in any given situation, I think is just next level, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Um, And it's not that he took a business from here to here, but it's just the way that he conducts himself. And I think there's a lot to be said of the great manners, the, 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 this guy, just everything about him, you know, uh, the way mm. that the way that he deals with with, with situations um, is, you know, uh, unbelievable. Unlike another person that's in that big old house at the moment, who <laughs> remain nameless, um, um, which we can't wait to see the back of. <laughs> yeah, um, um, I think his wife's thinking the same thing. Anyway, uh, moving on. Um, um, I'm, I'm, you know what there's there's no one particular leader i am i get inspired by anybody that has taken themselves from one level and elevated themselves up to you know another level um for me i i you know personally i get something out of that because it, it makes me realize if they can do it number one it's possible and if they can do it there's no reason why i can't do it um mm. because we all have that brain and that ability to put our brains in gear and go for it and do what you know other people have uh, have done so you know i couldn't limit it down to just one or two leaders you know there are you know it could be somebody that's lost a lot of weight over a period of time you know you know been really you know uh, you know obesely overweight and got themselves back into shape it could be someone that's had a horrific accident been in a horrific situation and got themselves back on the feet it could be someone who started up a business has taken it from nothing you know taking it to you know to somewhere there's so many people out there on a daily basis that i you know get inspired by and we all can get inspired by and i'm sure Everybody could think of half a dozen people that live within a 20-mile radius of them that have actually been quite successful. And it brings it to hope that, actually, you know, it can be done. And indeed, Jennifer Oswald Weston, who's a leader herself, the approach and commitment athletes uh, give their goals is an inspiration, she says. I've learned a lot from the structure, the stretch, and the honest appraisal they take forward. Thank you. Uh, Your colleague, Chris Akabuzi, shared in a similar session it's not good enough just to get on a plane to the Olympics. You've got to train and uh, set the goal to medal. So uh, any thoughts from uh, Jennifer's comment there? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, she's absolutely right. Thank you, Jennifer. Um, the fact that you quoted Akabusi, oh, my goodness. Um, he, if I tell him that, he won't let me live that down all day. Uh, but, no, um, it's absolutely right. You know, it's there is, you know, there is structure there. One of the things that is, you know, that I like what she said is that honest appraisal. And it's something that I sometimes talk about in athletics, in sport. Sorry, forgive me. In sport, we have honest conversations. If my coach or my dad say that training session was absolutely pants or that race was pants or the tactics that you adopted, what was you doing this and that? You get told in no uncertain terms. But then when you come into the world of business, that honest conversation becomes what they call a difficult conversation. And where did it go from honest to being difficult? You know, and it's just that 
approach that we take and honest appraisal is something that I'm, you know, um, uh, I'm pretty passionate about as well. And, mm. and having those, what I refer to as honest conversations, not difficult conversations, um, because I couldn't, I couldn't get away with my dad or my coach saying, yeah, it's all right, it's all right. And it was really bad because that's false economy for me. <laughs> get me going into racing, yeah, I'm in the shape of my life and getting beaten by all and sundry. Um, and I wouldn't have wanted that. So whether it was me, whether it was Chris, whatever, um, we always had those honest conversations. I even remember having a conversation with Chris um, at a competition. I was coming back from injury, surprise, surprise. And I got picked to run in the relay. And Chris came up to me and said, Derek, I don't think you should be running, mate. I don't think you're in shape to run. Um, you know, I don't think it's the right thing you should be doing. Not saying an in-shape Derek Redman wouldn't do the business, because of course you would, but you're not in that same shape yet. And I I think you could jeopardize a medal if you know if if you're right. honest conversations, you know, and that's what we have in sport. And it seems to, as we cross that line between sport and business, it seems to morph itself into difficult conversations and just the phrase difficult conversations you know straight away you don't want to have a difficult i don't have difficult conversations but i'll have honest conversations you know so um so yes great um you know great thought from uh, jennifer there such yeah, a good point it, it was and we've got about five minutes left and I'll, I'll let um ben have the last few minutes but just one other question i wanted to hear on that theme what what have you found that you've taken from sport athletics because you've done so many damn sports, it's amazing. Friendlin' uh, <laughs> junkie, more like. Uh, you go for everything you could possibly do. It's, it's awesome. But um, what is it you've taken from sport? That, you know, now you've been working in business and with business people at all levels. What, what's a uh, you know, good good bit of uh, a, a tip you'd give people? You know, you've got many, I know, but you know. Uh, yeah, um, I would say if there was one thing that people need to look at and change it's their mindset simple as that is their mindset that's the simple answer it's not quite as simple to, to change that that mindset and you know when i talk about the mindset it's the approach that you take to conquer that goal to achieve that goal to achieve that aim and you know a little bit of the glass half full or half empty type attitude um, I never see a you know a glass half empty. You know it's always half full. Um, you know, and if you look at the my you know, and and I do a lot. I have a program called the you know the the Olympic mindset program. If you look at an Olympian, um, there's roughly what six billion, six and a half billion people in the world. Every four years, round about eighteen thousand people will go to a given city and compete in Olympic games. And out of that roughly 18,000 people, depending on the sports that come in and out, there's about 350, 355 gold medals. Now, you can take out the very elderly and the very young. You've still got a few million that could possibly make it to the Games. You, you bring that, you narrow that down to 18,000. And then that 18,000, only about 350 will come away with a gold medal. Not one Olympian who goes to an Olympic Games who will go to Tokyo next year for the last three, four years, I've seen that as a problem or, oh, my God, that's impossible. It's a challenge. Mm. Now, to me, that's one of the biggest challenges you're going to see in this world. You know, okay. even if it's just one of those 18,000 to 355 gold medals. But to go down from the world's population to 18,000 and then 300, every Olympian who wakes up in the morning and has that training to do or whatever work they've got to be done, and it could be in the middle of winter, they could be, exhausted but they know they've got to put those hours in and that grafting because a year two years down the line they're going to be in that arena hoping to uh you know perform and win uh you know a gold medal and it's it's that kind of mindset that i think is the, is is the one thing that people need to to, to, to really grasp and, and, and get hold of and and say don't see things as a problem for arguments sake, see them as a challenge and that's just one small small thing so for me it would be mindset yeah great Ben, over to you. Great stuff. Um, so as we sort of coming to the end of end of the interview, uh, it's been such a pleasure talking to you. But what what would you like your legacy to be? You've done so many things, achieved so many things, and and uh, sporting wise, and 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 uh, in your life after after sport. So what would your uh, legacy be? I don't know. Um, 
I kind of think a part of my legacy has already been written with Barcelona 92. Um, you know, whether I wanted to or not, I can't change that. We can't change history. So I think part of my legacy has already been written, um, you know, about the not giving up, the, the, the grit and the determination. Um, and I guess it will it will just build on that. You know, um, I would like to kind of, I like educating people, people, training people to believe that the impossible is possible. Sounds a bit cliche is. Um, but you know the you know the biggest barrier to to most people succeeding their goals is actually them. Uh, in a lot of the times, it's it's actually them that's is you know um, a lot of people give up mentally on on their goals before it's physically impossible to actually achieve. Um, so I guess really my legacy is to build upon that is to try and be known as somebody who has helped hundreds of thousands of people, thousands of people, however many to actually believe that they can actually achieve what they what they, what they set out to uh, and hopefully they get there or as close to it as you know as, as possible brilliant, brilliant. Uh, it reminds me that my old company sergeant major in the army used to say sir you're a legend in your own lunchtime but you, <laughs> you are a legend in your lifetime and um, thank you very much for being on the show with ben and myself we found it fascinating we could have talked for hours but Derek, it's a real privilege to have you on. And I know so many people get such a lot from this podcast and this series. So thank you. My pleasure. Thanks, guys. Really enjoyed Thanks it. Thanks so much. So now you've heard from one of the inspiring leaders that I've interviewed, what are you going to do next? If you want to get some more free material, go to my website, jonathanperks.com. Or follow me on LinkedIn, Jonathan Bowman Perks. And there you can get access to my books, uh, Inspiring Leadership and Top Tips for Inspiring Leaders. But if you want to actually do something about being a leader and constantly improving your game, raising your performance, get in touch with me about coaching you or one of your team that you want to raise the game for them. It's got to be people who want to be good to great, not people who you're trying to fire. And if you're looking for a motivational speaker, get in touch. Or if you want me to work with your team coach, I would be delighted to help you.